when we've experienced a lot, when we're holding a lot, the capacity in our nervous system to do a lot of healing may not be there. Our, our nervous system may be shy. It may be burnt out. It may be tired and exhausted. And the only way we can heal trauma is if our nervous system can hold the opposite of that, which is peace and calm. All right, guys, growing your wellness business doesn't have to mean working around the clock and feeling exhausted. So welcome to the Healthy Hustle Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Feldman, and I have been in your shoes. I've been in the wellness space for over nine years, and I know what it feels like to feel overwhelmed. I took my wellness business from 13K that first year and feeling fried and exhausted to over six figures. Now I'm a business coach for health and wellness professionals just like you, and I create done-for-you content and programs to help you save time and money so you can spend more time nailing down your niche, understanding your buyer avatar, attracting your ideal client, and building your business from the ground up the right way. So sit down and let's get started. Hey guys, here we are at the Healthy Hustle Podcast, and I'm so beyond excited to interview my new friend, Mandy. We're going to be talking about perfectionism, trauma, getting out of that place where you're stuck, all the things that ran my life for so many years. As a perf- as a recovering perfectionist, I even have my fuck perfect pillow from society6.com. I don't, this is not an ad for them. This is just, if you need the pillow in your life as your reminder, get it. But today, Mandy is going to deep dive with me into these topics and I am extremely pumped. Mandy, thank you so much. Can you tell everyone a little about you? Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have this conversation. You know, perfectionism steals so many people's Mm. lives and joy and vitality. And it's such a great reminder, you know, to keep on top of um, and have in our back pocket, the awareness and the tools to make sure we're out of that place and can really live our lives and create the impact that we really want to create. So um, I am a recovering perfectionist myself. And that for me uh, came after many years of, of a child um, traumatic childhood and yeah. learning that, you know, if I am perfect, if I, you know, keep everything in its place, I perfect my outward world, then perhaps I'm not going to be hurt or I'm not going to be the um, end result of someone's um, abusive tendencies, or I'm going to be able to avoid some uncomfortable feelings, which is how I used it in my adult life, where everything in my life looked perfect. On the outside, if someone was to look at me, they would think, oh man, I bet she had like the perfect life growing up. I bet she had the perfect opportunities. She's, she's got her clothes perfect, her hair perfect, perfect job, perfect kids, perfect style of house, right? Like I aimed for that. And I felt so um, excited when someone would really notice like, wow, you've got it all together Uh, because validate um, my worth. It would validate a little 
piece of me that was really feeling unworthy and unlovable, but on the inside, I was crumbling. So, um, perfectionism has been a part of my life from the time I can remember. And I went through many years of healing from my past and found a way to really work with my perfectionism part and tendencies in a way where I was able to really release them. And now I notice if there are moments where it comes up, but I know have the tools now to really do something about it. And um, so today uh, I work with people um, one-on-one, I do talks, I do workshops, and I do guided hiking and healing experiences. Oh, wow. I work with people and help them connect to the parts that we hold within ourselves that are really holding us back and uh, giving them the tools to learn how to notice that, work with it, release it, and then come back to center. I can totally identify you on, identify with you on almost every level. (laughs) I, I cannot remember a time where perfectionism was not a part of my daily existence. Yeah. thought if I'm perfect, my dad's not going to leave. If I'm perfect, I'm going to be loved. If I'm perfect, the insanity that was happening in my house with my stepfather and his rageaholism would go away. If I was perfect, my mom wouldn't get hurt. It's like, I felt that I remember saying to a therapist, I felt like I could control things. And it's like controlling my eating, controlling what I wore control. It was, everything was control. And now what I love about it is when you recognize it, you can see where those bits of control are bleeding into your life and taking you away from the present moment and away from action, putting you back in trauma mode. Yeah. Yeah. It's that survival. It's that survival 100%. When you went through those traumatic experiences when you were younger, what brought you to your knees and said, like, I have to make a change? Did you go to therapy for a long time? And this became like the end part where like, I'm a perfectionism kind of walk me through that because I'm sure there are people that can identify to all these and they may be sitting there saying, could this be something that's really, yeah. 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 Um, you know, it didn't happen. So I, my trauma, um, really started, from the time I was born until about the age of 14, uh, my mom and the man that she was married to at the time took their lives when I was 14 years oh old my God. because I, um, I was being sexually abused by my stepdad and I had told someone about it. And then that led to them choosing to take their lives because of that. Um, so when I was 14, my entire life imploded everything I knew, everything that was comfortable, normal, normal in my home, right? That may not be normal everywhere else, but everything that I knew really imploded. And um, I went through therapy starting from really after that happened from the age of 14, um, I started doing EMDR therapy. And um, we were really working on in those years, the guilt that I felt because I really felt like I was the one that pulled the trigger that killed them because I was the one that spoke up and said, Hey, this is what's going on. And, um, the core belief that happened because of that experience was really, uh, the core belief of, I can't trust my intuition. And it was such a painful wound that like I chose to speak up 
And the outward result of that was complete devastation in my life that really stuck in my body and in my brain that I, there's no way I can make a decision for myself anymore because I clearly cannot do the right thing. And so, um, through those years of, um, going through therapy, um, I didn't know it then, but I was developing this, this behavior of, I need to outsource my life and I'm self-abandoning, right? I'm no longer tuning into my intuition. My intuition is shot. It's broken. (laughs) I can't listen to this anymore. Right? Like I don't want my life to implode again. So I'm just going to outsource and I'm going to look to everyone else to tell me what to do. And through those years, I was, you know, consistently in therapy. And by the time I was uh, graduating high school, I graduated therapy and I thought, great, life is just right. I'm I'm done. I'm going to move on. I'm going to enjoy my life kind of thing. Um, but what happened was, uh, as I became a young adult in my twenties and I got settled in life and I got to a comfortable place where my, I, my body was able to settle all of a sudden trauma from the past was starting to come back up. Flashbacks from the past were coming up experiences from the past were coming up things that I had completely forgotten about, didn't know happened. And so I'm right back into that therapy again, I'm back on medication. And, um, it was during those years where I was being faced with re-experiencing the sexual abuse, but through the eyes of an adult, um, I think we're so traumatic to my system that all of a sudden the perfectionist tendency started to really get triggered. And it was like, this feels so uncomfortable in my body to see and experience that I need to make everything else perfect. And that was unconscious. That was not a conscious thought of like, oh gosh, this is uncomfortable. I'm not going to know how to do this. This was unconscious. And so as I was trying to attempt to heal those wounds, my perfectionism really kicked into gear and it looked like um, controlling my diet. So only eating a certain number of calories, controlling my weight, controlling the clothes I chose. And in each of those moments where I was controlling either my weight, my looks, my, um, my job, my, you know, the outward experience of what types of parties am I throwing for my kids? How am I hosting? How's my house decorated? All of those things were a form of self-abandonment. And it was this self-abandoning of what my true needs were at the time, which were I really needed to feel safe and loved and seen. And even though I was in therapy, there was, it was not, I think, the right time for my system to be able to process all of what I was experiencing, or I wasn't in the right therapy. I was in talk therapy and it wasn't wasn't the right kind. And so eventually I just left therapy and I was like, I'm just going to deal with this in my own life. And I'm sure many people can relate to that. I went through a similar experience where it was like regurgitating wasn't working anymore. And I started doing a therapy called RTM and EMDR, not at the same time because they're both very intense. Yeah. It was like started seeing people for chakra healing, started seeing an energy worker, started doing nice 
all of those different things that really helped me. But I think what's interesting about perfectionism is that many people view you as, and I know you work with like high powered entrepreneurs. Many people think, oh, wow, you're such a go-getter. You <laughs> always have it just perfectly. So yeah. you get a lot of these affirmations. Yeah. Yeah. So you they, get confirmation, right? You get confirmation. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so tricky. So they were showing up in your life. You walked away from therapy. What brought you to this next place? I guess a lot of it was your intuition, actually. Probably. Yeah, it wasn't for probably another 10 years. So I operated in a space of I'm just going to be perfect. And I didn't know I was in that space then. Right. Like that was just my pattern. That was just my programming. That was my survival response, you know, setting in, like, we're just going to make everything perfect and it'll be fine. If everything is perfect, my belief was if I can be perfect, if I can be perfect in my job and be that perfect corporate employee who says yes to everything, then I get that validation. I get that love. I get that acceptance that I was deeply, deeply needing at a very inner child level, but didn't know it. And it wasn't until in all these years, Um, one of the other beliefs I had was that I am a really good person because I never get angry. I am cool as a cucumber. I can handle everything with ease. It's almost like perfectionism goes with people pleasing. Yes, it does. So I'm, I'm people pleasing, but I'm also suppressing my emotions so that I can appear as this perfect person who never gets mad, who takes everything with ease and all this stuff. And it wasn't until my daughter, my youngest daughter was about four when I really had an explosion. And it was all of the things that I had been repressing for years just came out of my body. And then that was really the point where I saw like, oh my gosh, I I need, there's something going on here that I don't understand that I've never even touched. I don't know what it is and I need help. And essentially my daughter is the greatest teacher of emotions that I've ever had. And she Uh has this beautiful range. Like we all do when we come into the world of feeling joy and bliss. And on the other side, feeling extreme anger and rage and she would easily move through that spectrum and when she was on the side of anger and rage it would literally be like chalk fingernails on a chalkboard for me because I couldn't I couldn't hold my own emotion let alone hers and hers was big and loud and that was very intense for me and there was just one moment one day where she was in her rageful tantrum and I remember I'm sitting washing dishes my back is to her and I literally could feel fire move through my body and it went from my toes to the top of my head and I could feel it moving 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 up and I just remember feeling so angry and this anger just had nowhere to go but out and it I turned around and had this glass in my hand and I threw it at the ground at her feet and I screamed at her and I was like shut up shut up And I can remember looking at her face and her eyes got real big and she was just so sad and afraid and crying. And she was like, I'm sorry, I'm a bad person. I didn't mean to hurt you. And that broke my heart and I'm crying and she's crying and I'm picking up all the glass pieces. And I was just like, this isn't who I am. This isn't 
the mom I want to be. And it was that point when I started somatic experiencing therapy, which was really helping me tune into my nervous system, tune into where I was holding emotion in my body. And then it was in that process where I started to uncover all the ways in which I was coping with repressing this emotion with repressing the energy of the abuse I experienced so many years before that was still in my body. I had never healed it in the body. I had always intellectualized it and talked myself through it and out of it and inside and out sideways and up and down. And, but I had never touched that in my body. And in that healing process, what I realized was I was using perfectionism as this coping strategy because I needed to feel safe. And my childhood was so unsafe that perfectionism was one of the ways in which I coped to make things feel safe for me at, in that seven-year-old mind. Right. And it just continued throughout my adult life until I no longer knew who I was, you know, in those moments where I was repressing so much emotion, I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't know, you know, one of the things that sounds silly, but as a perfectionism, I wanted to have the perfect hair color. And so I would dye my hair all, I had naturally auburn hair and it had some red in it, but I thought, Ooh, um, I really got on this kick of like, I'm going to color my hair bright red and, you know, different shades of red and all these things. And, you know, I'm just going to have the perfect hair color and the perfect style and all the things. And in those moments where I was in my healing journey, it was like, I don't even know what my hair color is. I don't know who I am, you know, and all the ways in which perfection, perfectionism showed up was so, you know, so insidious that you, you could hardly even notice it in the moment. But as I had some awareness of what I was repressing and holding on to, it was like, wow, my way in which of dealing with that was trying to be this perfect person and being, being told working in corporate America really reinforced the pattern of being perfect of like, Hey, we've got this great employee. She never says no. She does everything we say and in the time and works over, over weekends and holidays and all the things, you know? So it was like having to uncouple all of the ways in which perfectionism kept me safe and understand what I really needed and learning how to heal those unsafe moments. I think one of the things that you brought up, I mean, you brought up so many things that I think are so powerful and many people can identify, but one of the things that you talked about is how perfectionism shows up in a lot of different areas. And I know that overachiever, as I was saying, you get all these accolades for being this overachiever, for being this person who never says no. And then inside you're like, I'm dying. One of the things I had to recognize when I was really deep in adrenal fatigue. Yeah. That I overworked to check out. Yeah. And that if I was working, I felt like, oh, I can work faster and better than anyone else. And it's like all of these things where I don't eat or I'm great at like restriction or I'm great like to feel that, that adrenaline. But I had to recognize that it was stopping me from being present in my life. And that wasn't too long ago. I'm 48 now. And the trauma was when I was very young, 
But I think as when we have trauma that we're very young, we also recreate those traumas in different ways, different traumas, but we hold them. And I love that you brought up somatic healing. Can you just, for anybody who doesn't know about somatic healing and experiences, can you just touch upon that of how that's different from talk therapy? Yeah. 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 You know, I wish I would have, and perhaps I wouldn't have been able to use it properly, but I wish I would have known early on when I started my therapy work, all the other ways in which you could heal and that we, we, when we experience something, we don't, we not only have our mind's story, like what is our mind telling us about what we just experienced, but we have our body's story. Yeah, The body is the score. It does. And it's the body's story that really holds the energy of that experience that, that then when we hold that energy in our body, it, it festers. And it's kind of like, I think about it like mushrooms, you know, if you keep mushrooms in the dark, they grow and grow and grow. And I feel like that's the same way with a traumatic experience, traumatic childhood, that we're holding that energy in our body. And the more it stays in there, it grows and grows and grows. And it affects our organs and it affects our hormones and it affects our, you know, our thyroid gland and it affects our immune system and our stress and our adrenals get so taxed because it takes so much energy to really keep that in because it wants to move out. Um, and in somatic experiencing, I love this work. And this is why actually I got trained in it because it is the most, in my mind, gentle, but impactful healing experience out there. For me, I've gone through a couple different modalities and with somatic experiencing, I healed more in two and a half years than I did over the 20 years of talk therapy. And it's because we were getting to the body's story and in somatic experiencing, it's taking, it's really honoring the place in which your nervous system is at. Meaning when um, we have, sometimes we have this belief when we go to therapy, all right, we know we have something to work on. Otherwise we're not going to therapy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we, we say, oh, okay, I have this thing I need to work on. I'm going to go to therapy and we're just going to knock it out, right? We're going get to it, get it done in a couple months, maybe we'll, and we'll be good, right? Well, that's our mind kind of dictating the experience, but really our nervous system may need a longer, slower process of yeah. touching into that. And so somatic experiencing is like this, this oscillation, this back and forth weaving. So when we've experienced a lot, when we're holding a lot, the capacity in our nervous system to do a lot of healing may not be there. Our, our nervous system may be shot. It may be burnt out. It may be tired and exhausted. And the only way we can heal trauma is if our nervous system can hold the opposite of that, which is peace and calm. And we have to train the nervous system through gentle moments and experiences and where we're able to hold it and then give it some space to relax and and where it's at. So in, in healing trauma with somatic experiencing, it looks like, all right, let's take some time to just find peace and calm in our nervous system. Maybe that's through a memory. Maybe that's through a vacation you had and notice how long you can sit with that memory or with that vision. If you find that you can't sit there very long and your mind starts to wander and you get agitated and you're like, Oh, okay, this is, I don't want to do this. This is this doesn't feel right. 
then that's a sign that your nervous system is really on the dysregulated end, meaning it is so out of balance that it can't hold that peace and calm state. So in, in somatic experiencing, we might just all, we might at first just work on holding space for peace and calm. And the more that we can train your nervous system to sit there and settle in that place, then we can go into something that feels a little agitating and stressful. Like, oh, I got cut off in, in traffic or my boss told me I wasn't going to get this project and it makes me feel really mad. And so now we might, we might sit with that experience and notice where we're holding it in our body, notice the sensation in our body. We might even talk to that part of our body. We might put our, our mental mind in that part of our body and just see what's there. And then eventually we might come back to a place of peace and calm. Okay. We've done that. Let's just remember back to what was that memory that brings you peace. And the more we do this back and forth, the more we're training the nervous system to hold more, to be able to flow. process more. Right. And so now we can go into the bigger traumas and we can have our nervous system is able to sit in that bigger trauma and emotion and energy and heal it and process it. And then we go back to the peace and calm. And it's this, it's this gentle, you know, back and forth where we train our body to really gain the resilience and gain the capacity to release what's in our body. But if we go diving right into the the big, nasty, hairy, ugly traumas, then our nervous system will most likely resist and, you know, either go into freeze, go into fight, go into flight, and then we've, we're done, right? Are you struggling with email marketing for your coaching business? Building an email list is crucial to connect with your clients and increase conversions, but it's not easy. That's where the Cleaning Hacks List Builder and Marketing Kit comes in. You'll get everything you need to build an email list of raving fans and potential clients, including a lead magnet, cover images, opt-in page, thank you page, and follow-up emails. And the best part, it's completely free. And if that isn't enough, has also created video guides to walk you step-by-step through the setup process. Download your free kit and make it happen. Well, and I love that you really talk about this ebb and flow of healing because I think for many of us, maybe it wasn't as traumatic as something that you've gone through, but I wanna just for anybody listening, remind people that it's like a trauma is something that is affecting you still on a daily basis. And everyone's trauma, whether it's a small trauma or a big trauma, these are the very things that either allow us to show up in the present moment and be like 48 and an adult or have that inner child running the show. Yeah. And you know, the vast majority of trauma, you know, when we think about trauma, we think of these big things like abuse and car accidents or neglect or, um, you know, something really intense, but the vast majority of trauma is attachment trauma is developmental relational trauma, meaning the experience, the emotional experience you had with your caregiver, if they weren't able to meet your needs, or if there were certain expectations in the home that you had to meet to achieve and do more in order to earn that love, Um, or there were, you know, or you didn't feel like you belonged in the home. Those are just as, um, devastating to a child and to the nervous system as a big T traumatic trauma. How do you think, I, I mean, I know one of the big reasons and push for me to do the work that I do 
on myself is not passing that down to your kids. And I know with my oldest, I see he is much more perfectionist kind of type. And I talked to him about that. He's 14. And he definitely got me when I was in that beginning stages of working on it, but still very closed off. I worked on things, but I didn't let you truly in. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. Let you know that I wasn't perfect. Yeah. I couldn't fix myself. Yeah. So how do you or when you work with clients, it's like, how do you talk about that next generation and some of yeah. the that we've had on them? I can totally relate. <laughs> uh, I, you know, my whole thought process, and I heard this quote. Uh, recently that I just absolutely love. And it's, you know, I have two children myself and um, it, the quote is I have, I have a childhood. I have two childhoods in my hands. I can't, I can't look away. I can't give up now. And it's motivation for me to continue the process of healing. You know, I've done so much. I'm a completely different person than I was you know, going through it, but I still have stuff I'm working on and, you know, uncovering and healing at deeper levels. Um, and I do that because also similar to you, my children, I don't want them. I've never wanted my children to have the life, the childhood that I had. And that was always the motivation at first was like, they're not going to be ever. I'm never going to put them in a place where they are abused where I am at fault for inviting someone into my home who will hurt them. I'm never going to sacrifice their safety for my personal needs, right? Like I had all of these, like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Um, But as I've done my healing, now it's like, yes to those, but I also want to make sure that I have an emotional connection with them, that I can hold space for them, that I can see them as their individual selves and let them be who they are without trying to make them something different. And right. that work has only been able to be successful with the work that I do myself. So the allowing myself to be imperfect as a mother making mistakes as a mother, you know, all those, those things, I think, empower me with awareness and healing to then be able to show it for them in a different, more healing way. And so when I make a mistake, I really think the one skill that's so important for parents is the skill of repair Mm. and learning how to repair that relationship when you've made a mistake. You know, I grew up where parents were all perfect, right? Like no, no one ever admitted to making a mistake with their child. You know, it was just like, this is life, you know, deal with it. This is who I am, deal with it. And sometimes that can be pretty traumatizing when it feels like, you know, when we're looking at children, like they are, um, you know, don't know anything and they're entering this world and we have to teach them all. They really know a lot. And, you know, they're at least my children, they're in their teens now. So they're (laughs) becoming independent and they're wanting to find their own way. Um, So when I make a mistake, I really do own up to that. And I have a conversation with them and I invite them to tell me actually, you know, actually what you said, mom, or what you did, mom, that doesn't feel right to me or that was really hurtful. I don't understand why you did that. 
Um, and then we can have a conversation and I have enough self-awareness to be like, oh, I am so sorry. That wasn't my intent. Or I really apologize. Um, I'm sorry that my, that choice really made you feel upset. And, you know, I thank you for bringing it to me, you know, having compassion and grace for myself, but also for them to be able to feel safe enough to bring that stuff up, I think opens up an opportunity for repair, but I think also it opens up an opportunity for us to further process our own emotions and beliefs and programming around what does a parent look like? And uh, for me, this work has always been about healing, not just my ancestry and the generations, you know, that happened before me, but also my children and their children and their children, because I, I really believe that we can be so much, a so much stronger family unit when we're coming at it from a place of healed, conscious loving and connection and vulnerability and awareness and knowing that we're all going to make mistakes, but having the tools in our back pocket to be able to pull them out when we do make those mistakes that can help be healing for us and for the other person too, whether that's our child or someone else entirely. What are some of your non-negotiable tools that you have in your life today? For me, I am definitely highly sensitive. And so non-negotiables for me are a lot of self-care stuff. So getting outside in nature is a non-negotiable because that's where I find my grounding. That's where I find my peace. That's where I find my inner voice and my intuition. And oftentimes when I'm conflicted on a decision, I will go outside in nature and the answer will come to me, <laughs> you know, like that's just my place. So I always have to make space for that. Um, another non-negotiable is how I nourish my body and really letting go of the perfectionism around the food that I eat. You know, I am sensitive in that there are some foods that um, don't make me feel good. So I stay away from some foods, but I tried to let go of the restriction that I lived in for so long and allow myself some space and movement in what, what feels nourishing for me today and being okay with what that is. Um, and that also shows up in like my yoga practice perfectionism showed up in yoga and it was like, how can I get into the perfect pose, you know, with my legs this way and, you know, like all the things. And it's like, no, you know, I need to learn that movement is a space of healing and joy and love. And that's all that it needs to be, regardless of whether I hit the pose or I don't. Right. Mm -hmm. And so moving my body, nourishing my body, getting outside in nature, these are all non-negotiables. Um, but then also for me, a non-negotiable is um, always prioritizing my and being aware of my emotional state and using my tools to process my emotions because I am someone who kind of has has some swings. I you know get really excited about life and then I can get really in the in the dark spaces you know because of some some old trauma or some old experiences. And so for me, continuing my healing practice and being self-aware of where is my emotional state and how can I best support myself is a non-negotiable for being able to show up in my life as a leader, as a parent, and, you know, as a, as uh, someone who wants to live their best life. And what about, what about me? I would say yeah. 
Movement is one of those big things. But you know, what's been interesting is I keep saying I saw family this weekend. And I said to myself, mm-hmm. like, wow, that work that I did on myself, I'm not triggered anymore. Mm. Trigger would have me like overcompensate being the life of the party and okay, yeah, and and then feeling so depleted after, yeah, yeah, over that food restriction in front of people. You know, it was easy in front of myself, but that stuff doesn't exist anymore. But I feel like movement's really important. But even in the last few years, I was an over exerciser, yes. So I'm finding that middle ground yeah. by yeah. saying, like what's really going to nurture me today? What do I need? I would say also I'm a highly sensitive person. I can go very high. I can go very low and trying to figure out in that day, what's going to keep me in the best place to show up. And just as you said, and I want to be the wife, the business owner, the leader, the mama, all the different parts and seeing where I exist black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was either, or it was like, either I was so high or so low and trying to figure out like, how do I need to show up on a daily basis to keep myself in that even keel, but also know that that's part of my personality. Yeah. I love hard. And I also, you know, it's like the opposites. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think too, you know, a great question for people just to have in the back of their mind always is like, you know, when we're in the perfectionism state, there is a sense of uh, agitation or strict restriction in our system. We're trying to, you know, perfect something somehow, some way, because we, there's some underlying need or worry that we're not enough or we're not lovable or we're not this or we're not that, or we're not safe. And so you know, I think every, if you're a recovering perfectionist or you are feeling like, oh my gosh, these might be my tendencies, you know, a great question really to ask throughout the day is like, am I approaching this from a place of just love and self-love? Like I'm doing this yoga, I'm eating this food because it feels good to me. Or is there an ulterior motive behind it? Am I trying to do this to prove? Is there an element of proving here? And we have to get really truthful with ourselves and really, you know, open to seeing the ways in which that might be showing up, you know, like it, it, for me, the perfectionism in yoga, I didn't even notice it until, um, it was probably four or five months ago. I took a class and this teacher was like, you know, we're going to do the wiggly downward dog, you know, and it was just like, find your, you know, like move around and do all the things. It wasn't like get into this perfect downward dog position and hold it there. And, you know, your legs have to be at a 90 degree angle or whatever. Right. It just, she was like, I want you to wiggle in your space, find your own position. And it just like opened my eyes to like, wow, I've been trying to prove that after all these years of yoga, I can be just like an instructor. I can be, you know, like there was an element of proving even with that. And I thought, what am I, how am I holding myself back in enjoyment and in nourishment by trying to prove this practice when really this practice for me is just like an opportunity to let go, to have fun, to move my body. And so now, every time I do yoga, I'm shifting my mindset of like, gr- I'm excited to do yoga today because I'm going to just 
have fun moving my body. It's yeah. I'm trying to get out of that space of I need to prove that I can get into. Or I have to. Like I have, I have to. to. This. <laughs> yeah. I say so, quotations because it's like when I know when I'm speaking to myself, like I have to, or I'm yeah. not looking forward to something because I love experiences. But when I'm not looking for it, I'm like, what aspect is showing up in perfection? Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Like, you know, and even with our clients, we, you know, some can feel like I need to be the perfect coach or I need to show up the perfect way because, you know, they're relying on me to, to get help them through their stuff. And the reality is we are it's not our perfection that makes or break a session. It's our ability to be present, our ability to listen, our ability to tune in and our ability to be vulnerable. You know, the most, most healing sessions I've had with people have been where we're it's, I'm not on a higher level than them. They're not on a higher level than me. We're just like on the same level, walking side by side and can be vulnerable with each other. And it's a safe space because we're both here with the same intention of healing. It's It's, beautiful. I mean, this conversation has been so open. I love that you even brought up, I think healing is not linear. It, it always shows up in different ways. And I love that you really talked about being honest with yourself because the more present I am to my life, the more honest I can be about what takes me away. And, you know, I think sometimes it can feel very uncomfortable to be in that space of awareness. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, I don't want to face that. Oh, here's <laughs> <I>, more work. <laughs> right. And so I would just say, you know, if you're at that place, just really give yourself a lot of grace, a lot of compassion, yeah. a lot of love, because we all make choices. And, you know, sometimes those choices are for self-preservation. Sometimes those choices are for survival. Sometimes those choices are for something else. And it, you know, it's not, the question isn't why did I do that, but what am I doing and how can I shift it so I can feel differently? The biggest thing is I had a friend tell me when I was going through the thick of it, like a few years ago, when I was just like, I'm so sick of this running the show. I'm so mm-hmm. sick of being that like seven-year-old girl that yeah. needs this attention and feels not loved and feels yeah. abandoned. And she was like, you have no compassion and grace. You have tons of compassion for everyone else, tons of empathy, tons of grace, but not for yourself. And she really, yeah, it, it just hit me. And I was like, you know what? I need to start loving myself in the yeah. way I love other people. Yeah. And I need to start saying it's okay. So if, if anyone listening is still in that place to just, I would say every day, grace and compassion, Rachel, grace and compassion. (laughs) It was just like a mantra. Mm -hmm. It really got me to this place of it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be like gentle shifts with myself, like, like almost reparenting myself. It is a complete reparenting. And I love that. I love that you made it a mantra that I've done something similar. The other thing I would add to that is, you know, we, we can't often move forward when we're resisting what's happening in the Mm -hmm. moment. And so the more we can be open to seeing this is where I'm at now, I see it. I understand it. I see how it's affecting me and I'm making the choice to, 
to change my habit or to heal or whatever that next step is. But if we're resisting it and we're trying to cover it up, we're trying to shine it away, we're trying to, you know, numb it away, whether with work or perfectionism or whatever it is, the more it's going to stick around. And I think for me, the being open to seeing just where am I at today, but also having the compassion to say, look at, you know, I've lived my life. I'm in however old you are. Look at all the things I've been able to do in my life and really giving gratitude for what has got you here. Even if it's a a pattern or behavior that doesn't feel good now, you still got to this place and now you have the awareness and now you can start to shift and make those changes and move forward. Um, but I think having the ability to let go of the resistance, resist, you know, letting go and being able to accept where you're at and giving gratitude to what's got you here can really make a difference too. I love that. That is such a beautiful way to close out this interview. Can you tell everyone where they can find you if they want to follow you? Yes. Um, well, you can find me on Instagram. I'm um, Mandy L. Harvey. I'm on Facebook at Mandy Harvey. And I also have a free gift I'd love to share with your audience. Um, it's called, you can get it at stopyourbrainbully.com. And this is a uh, wonderful, I love it so much. It's a little mini course. There's four modules in it and there's a ton of information, a workbook and all the things of helping you identify your inner brain bully, your inner critic and how perfectionist tendencies show up in your life. And there's wonderful um, practices, nervous system regulation practices, um, mind body healing practices, et cetera, in this uh, mini course that can help you start to establish a daily habit of overcoming and really healing that uh, brain bully once and for all. And you can learn more about me there too. So I love that. Such a sick course that you put together for free. <laughs> I know. Guys, this woman's amazing. You could hear just the transparency, the love, the grace, and the compassion in her story today. I hope this has inspired you. And if you are struggling or you know somebody's struggling, definitely send them to this person, get the free gift, and also just give yourself a break today. Give yourself a break and admire how much you've gone through and how hard you work. So guys, and thank you, Mandy, for being on the show today. This was thank really- Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, guys, stay tuned and I will see you next week. All right, guys, that is all for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, it would mean the world to me if you take just a few seconds and leave me an honest review. Truth is, I love honesty. Your reviews help me to reach even more health coaches and wellness professionals who are ready to explode their business and want the truth in this non-BS approach. You can find all the links and the information mentioned in this episode at www.rachelafeldman.com backslash podcast. All right. So don't forget to tag me on Instagram at Rachel A. Feldman and let me know what was your favorite part of the episode. This will help me to create even better content for you. Bring on awesome peeps to tell you the truth about how they built their business plus other speakers to help you take your business to the top without overwhelm. 
Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys soon.